And as we make our way back to our seats, like say, good morning again, and glad you're here at First Covenant for this Thanksgiving Sunday. Uh, if you do not know me, my name is Stefan, I'm the Director of Music and Worship here at First Covenant, and this morning I'll be giving a message, uh, Praise God, from whom all blessings flow. So I invite you first to think with me what your Sunday morning looked like. I'm talking about when you woke up today until we get to the point right where we are now, sitting in these pews. I'm guessing it looked probably something similar to mine. So I'll go and walk you through my morning, and you can think about how yours was similar, how it was different. But this morning, the first thing I did is I woke up, and then I hit the snooze alarm. Then I hit it again and again, then I finally got up. But once I woke up, I woke up in my bed, in my house, after a good, safe, and restful night's sleep. Once I got out of bed, I had food to eat, I ended up not eating because, as I mentioned earlier, I have a problem with the snooze alarm. <laughs> but it was there if I so choose. I had water to drink. After I got dressed, I drove my car to this place, which happens to be my employment, where I feel very happy and fulfilled. I got to be around people that I love, talking about you guys. And I got to do all that in a country where I have the freedom to come here and worship in an organized setting like this. For most of us, that probably is what our Sunday morning looked like, give or take a few things here or there. And it seems pretty mundane. It's like, well, yeah, that's just Sunday morning, right? It's easy to take that for granted as just, oh, yeah, that's Sunday morning. But some of the things I listed that seem so simple, food, water, shelter, a car, gainful employment, um, getting com community to be around, or as Mike was mentioning, even the freedoms that we enjoy in this country that just are seen as so um, basically granted to us. This is not a reality that everyone has, and I'm not even talking globally, but I'm talking about in our country, in our state, in our community, this is not even the truth that everyone gets the joy of experiencing. When we talk globally, according to several uh, global organizations, including the United Nations, UNICEF, and the World Health Organization, when discussing income, 1.3 billion people in the world live on less than $1.25 a day. Something I think a lot about, they're prepared to go live on $1.25 a day. Three billion people in the world live on less than $3 a day. And I think the most shocking of all is that 80% of the world's population lives on less than $10 a day. Now, a dollar can go further in other countries, other communities, than perhaps in Lincoln. I acknowledge that. So in relation to amenities and uh, creature comfort, so to speak, a quarter of the world's population lives without electricity. So that is to say, heating, air conditioning, or what's become really a necessity, I think, in most of our lives, entertainment, not even on the radar for a quarter of the world's population. And as far as basic needs being met, 750 million people in the world lack access to clean drinking water, which is why, consequently, diarrhea, an entirely preventable, survivable disease, is the number one killer of children globally. And 805 million people in the world do not have enough to eat. Um, that is not to say food vulnerable, a term we frequently use, um, but rather to say that they are starving. When I think about these things, reality, and what this means, all of a sudden, Burger King canceling the spicy chicken McNuggets seems like less of a catastrophe than it was for me a couple weeks ago. This morning in our scripture reading, we talked about some of the promises of God's blessing that he gave to his people. First, the Israelites and then um, the new Christians in the new church in the New Testament. I would like to invite you guys to look at another 
um, verse of scripture with me that tells another story that really points us to having this posture of thankfulness towards God. And that's going to be Luke chapter 17, verses 11 through 19. We'll take a second to get there. And that is Luke chapter 17, 19, sorry, 11 through 19. Jesus heals ten men with leprosy. Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, Go show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, Were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, Rise and go. Your faith has made you well. As we begin to unpack this incident that's accounted for in the Gospel of Luke, um, there are several things to discuss. The first one to discuss is this disease of leprosy. And honestly, when you think about it, if not for the Bible, leprosy probably wouldn't even be in most of our vocabulary, except for the medical professionals in the room, of which we have several, by the way. But the disease of leprosy is a disease that affects the skin, that causes discoloration, um, flakiness, um, scaliness of the skin, and can result in uh, somewhat of like boil-like growths that can result in uh, deforming and loss of limbs, fingers, appendages but ultimately um, will actually go to the central nervous system and actually is a fatal condition. Now the Greek word here for leprosy can represent several different skin diseases, but what's important to know is that whatever skin disease they have, whether it be impetigo, leprosy, or any terms we have today now for it, is that their appearance barred them from society. Something about the way they looked didn't, prohibited them from being a regular function member of ancient Israel society. So just last week, Pastor Evan was talking about um, this Is Israelite slave class um, where they would likely be of the same ethnic and racial origin and they might be granted such freedoms they could walk the street and you wouldn't know who was free, who was slave. This is not the reality for these gentlemen. These gentlemen are outcasts and they are marked unclean by this ancient Israel society. And as a result, they are not allowed to have relationships um, with anyone who is clean or normal. Um, they're not allowed to uh, roam the streets during the day when other people would. They're not allowed to go to market, go to the well at the same time. Um, for all intents and purposes, they just are not allowed to be a regular member of society. And we see this because that's, it mentions that they call to Jesus from a distance because they would not be allowed to approach a religious leader like Jesus. Now, we see several... Um, skeptics of Jesus in the Gospels. I'd like to mention these men are not skeptics. Jesus, Master, have pity on us, is not the way skeptics would greet Jesus. So we see right there they clearly had some faith and some realization of who Jesus was. So by their tongue, by, their, by their, um, what they said, they demonstrated faith. But then Jesus really makes them show their faith when he asks them to go to the priest. Now it seems like a pretty simple request. And if someone said to me, 
In order to cure your leprosy, all I have to do is walk down to the nearest church and talk to the pastor. I'd be like, oh, sweet, what an easy thing to do. But we remember that in this society where they're branded as unclean, that requires them to go into the city during the day. That requires them to go to the temple when other people would be there worshiping and go to the priest. All these things would be incredibly uncomfortable for these men. And if they were not cleansed, it would result in a great humiliation um, for them. And it was not something that they would have done um, apart from Jesus telling them to do that. So we see that these men had faith, which makes it even more remarkable that only one of them came back to praise Jesus. You would expect it to be the other way around, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you think nine would come back and maybe one would forget? But only one comes back. And Jesus and the gospel takes a second to mention that this man who came back was a Samaritan. Now in regards to who a Samaritan is, the people of Samaria in the New Testament, we often talk about the story of the Good Samaritan, Jesus and the Samaritan woman at the well, and this instance right here. And honestly, they are shed in such a positive light, it's easy to forget that there is a huge race division between Jews and Samaritans in this, at this time. So in, uh, geographically, Samaria was the province that separated Galilee to the north and Judea to the south. And um, when the Jews would come from Galilee to Judea, they would frequently add to their journey by a significant amount to avoid passing through Samaria because they wanted nothing to do with them. So who were the Samaritan people? They were a mixed race of Jews and Gentiles. From the Assyrian occupation, what had happened was some of the Jewish people had married um, with these Assyrian occupiers and they had, had families. And so to several of the more... Um, purebred Jews, so to speak, um, they were seen as less than. Now, this, uh, this, this tense but still stable relationship, uh, to paint a picture, would be something like, and these groups actually kind of ended up becoming geographically, modern relationships between Israel and Palestine. As in, they can exist peacefully in their borders, but they do not relish going into other people's company. So much so was um, the disparity of race relations between the Jews and Samaritans that actually in uh, John chapter 8, a critic of Jesus calls him a Samaritan and demon-possessed in the same sentence. But like so much of what Jesus does, he tears down our expectations and through his story with the Good Samaritan, his interaction with the Samaritan woman at the well, and ultimately his um, healing and forgiveness of this Samaritan man, he sends a very clear message that this, let's call it what it is, racism has no place in his kingdom. More on that next week, shameless plug. <laughs> with only one, but however, with only one of them being a Samaritan, we can assume the other nine men were Galileans, um, but the saying, misery loves company, these ten men found community with each other um, based on their common leprosy. Now when Jesus asks, the man who comes back, were not all ten cleansed, I'd like to make known that he's not surprised by this. The all-knowing, almighty, all-powerful God in human form knew exactly what was going to happen. But like so much of what Jesus says, it serves almost as a commentary towards us. Because could you imagine if it would have stopped at, he threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him, and he was a Samaritan, boom, that's it right there. You'd be like, okay, yeah, story's over. But Jesus takes a point to say, why did only one of you come back? Because when we look at it, we say, well, why did only one of them come back? Well, this demonstrates that not only had this man received a physical healing of his ailment, but then going back to Jesus and being forgiven and being told his faith has made him well, or more specifically, your faith has saved you, he also demonstrated a change of heart and was given that spiritual healing. 
Now, while leprosy is, I don't want to say, all but non-existent in America, um, it is very, very, very rare. And even at this point in history, and kind of in the height where we start seeing um, the fear of the disease in the Middle Ages, it never really was all that common. But it seems like Jesus interacts with an awful lot of lepers in the New Testament. There's a reason for that. Unlike several other miracles and healings that Jesus performed, leprosy is the most accurate physical condition to represent a spiritual disease that we all have apart from Christ. Say that again. Leprosy is the most accurate physical condition to represent a spiritual disease that we have apart from Christ. That is to say that all of our good deeds are worthless in the eyes of the Lord, that we still are unclean. And there is nothing by our doing or our measure that we can do to make ourselves clean, to heal ourselves, and ultimately the disease we have of being sinful and being human will result in our death. And so ultimately without Christ we cannot be cleansed. And so this image we see right here actually then points to, later on, uh, sanctification through Christ. Now, the last time I had preached, I had talked about forgiveness and the forgiveness that Christ showed on the cross for our sins. Now we find ourselves on the other side of the equation, having been cleansed, what is our response to be? I'm here to say I think as Christians we have no possible response apart from this posture of gratitude towards our Lord. Healing of leprosy is dramatic. It's something that can be seen, something that happens quick. And it's something that if you would think someone would be grateful for, it would be in that moment, you wouldn't lose sight of what had just happened to you, but they still did. How much so is it easy to lose sight of the gratefulness we ought to show for our spiritual healing, which doesn't happen as dramatically and as obviously on the surface? Or, how easy is it to not be thankful for the things that we so easily take for granted in a country where I am thankful to be so privileged to be able to even take for granted food, water, shelter, community. So, this week, as we celebrate Thanksgiving, as we typically do, my charge to you would be to be thankful for all the things that the Lord gives us. Food to eat, water to drink, friends, family, shelter, country. And to be thankful for the ultimate gift that Christ gave us, which is this spiritual cleansing that we could not achieve through him, but that then we would carry that over and move forward with that continued posture of gratitude. Would you pray with me? Dear Lord, thank you so much for all the things that you give us. Thank you for friends at the church, family at the church. Thank you for the freedom to worship you in this organized setting. And thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus. We pray this morning that as we go about in our week and for the rest of our days, that we would always be mindful of the gifts that you've given us and all the blessings you've bestowed upon us. Lord, with so many distractions, it's easy to lose sight. And I pray that you would help us to t just turn our eyes from those distractions and turn our eyes to you and have this attitude of gratefulness towards you. Be with us, Lord, this week and always. So you know we pray. Amen.